0: Walking down a nondescript Van Nuys Street and we're coming up on a house that has a fence around it and this is the house of Bob Bowden who has the vanity license plate TV Bob so if you see TV Bob driving around in California you are uh, behind uh, one of the world's biggest game show fans push push this hey it's Buzzy Hi, I'm Buzzy Cohen, author, dad, husband, and trivia enthusiast. You are probably wondering why I'm talking to you from a windy street in Southern California. Well, a few weeks back, my producer and I went on a field trip to visit one of LA's best-kept secrets. Hello, Bob. Hi. <laughs> Good to see Good you. Good to see you, too. Hi, Mia. To this is Hi, Mia. Mia. We're entering your garage, and I would describe this space as anywhere you could put something you have placed... 10 things, it's hard to know where to begin. There's a lot of bright colors, there are flashing lights, there are pins, there's clippings, there's parts of sets. What am I looking at?
1: Well, this is my um, sort of game show museum. If a game show fanatic kind of threw up, this is
0: what it would be, Uh, and that would be me. We're gonna get to Bob in just a second, but first, let me explain a little more about who I am and what I'm doing here. Some of you might know me from my days as a Jeopardy! contestant. I competed on the show in 2016, won the Tournament of Champions in 2017, and was even a guest host in 2021. But well before I was on Jeopardy!, I was, like 25 million other people, watching it on TV. Every night at 7pm, just as dinner was wrapping up at my parents' house in Short Hills, New Jersey, I'd grab the remote, flip through the channels, find ABC7, and boom.
2: Here's Jeopardy! Here are today's contestants. A fundraiser from New York, New York.
0: See, I've always liked knowing things. As a kid, that was kind of my superpower. I remember when I was really young, my grandfather gave me a set of world book encyclopedias, and I was completely enamored with them. There were so many random facts and cool pictures and hidden histories. When I discovered Jeopardy!, It was like those books had come to life. All the facts were so fresh, the contestants were really interesting, and I instantly became a fan, a big fan. And that's how, over 20 years later, I ended up in a garage in Los Angeles talking to an even bigger fan.
1: My name is Bob Bowden, I'm co-founder of the National Archives of Game Show History, and I'm currently executive producer of Funny You Should Ask, a syndicated comedy celebrity game show.
0: Bob has circled around the Jeopardy! universe for decades. I
1: was a rehearsal contestant on a run-through for the pilot of the current version of Jeopardy. I was in the Weird Al Yankovic, I Lost on Jeopardy video, and I am an archivist and collector uh, who has many pieces of game show memorabilia, including the flashing J from the Jeopardy
0: set circa 1985. Bob is to game shows what Benjamin Bubba Buford Blue was to shrimp in the movie Forrest Gump. He's a font of game show knowledge. He's the type of guy who can rattle off years of old daytime lineups, recite the original airtimes, and even hum those theme songs. He's the type of guy who actually saves old game show ticket stubs and has boxes upon boxes to prove it.
1: So this is just a selection. Um, I have hundreds more of these in a filing cabinet, but here are some of the tickets. You've got Family Feud, Uh, $10,000 Pyramid, Liar's Club, Love Connection, Joker's Wild, Dating Game, Match Game, uh, Price is Right. These are from Jeopardy. This is uh, NBC Radio City Studios. This is from January 30th, 1967. Uh, This one is from the last season, from September 12th,
0: 1974. I love it. Um, I'm going to ask you a big question, but as somebody who literally lives inside game shows someone who thinks about game shows. Why Jeopardy? I was just obsessed with Jeopardy. Jeopardy came on the air when I was five years
1: old, March 30th, 1964. And when I was in first grade, I had a lunch break at noon. I would walk home, which was about six blocks, because I didn't want to be on the playground. I wanted to be in front of my TV set to watch Jeopardy.
0: Forgoing playground time as a first grader, now that is devotion. But Bob's not alone in his decades-long love affair. For the last 60 years, Jeopardy! has been a fixture in the homes of millions of people across the country. From its flagship show to themed spin-offs, international adaptations, hilarious SNL parodies, classic TV cameos, watch parties, active message boards, and fan rituals like no phone calls during those 30 minutes please, Jeopardy's reach is vast and its following fiercely loyal. Still, I've always sort of wondered, how did this 30-minute program, fundamentally about the pursuit of knowledge, endure all of these years and become something bigger than just a game show?
2: And now, here is the host of Jeopardy, Alex Trebek. Thank you, Johnny Gilbert. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard. Hey,
0: anybody here watch Jeopardy? I love, yeah, I love it I love it It's the only place outside of Creighton Barrel Where you can hear somebody say I'll take potpourri for
2: $200 I've become obsessed With someone new And it's getting serious I am talking of course About the current reigning Jeopardy champion I am a big fan of this program <laughs> Well this might be the blackest black Jeopardy yet I don't suppose you know what kind of alien life form leaves a green spectral trail and crave sugar water do you? Oh wait, that was on Final Jeopardy last night.
0: Damn, Alex said... All I heard was Jeopardy. Jeopardy. What a word. From its original run in the 1960s to its relaunch in 1984, through the years with Alex Trebek as host to the birth of the super champ, we're taking you behind the scenes, chronicling the victories, surprises, hurdles, and many personalities which shaped Jeopardy and its place in our culture. And for you super fans out there, do not worry. This is not going to disappoint you. We've got you covered too. As for me, I'm your host, Buzzy Cohen. And from something else, Sony Music Entertainment and Sony Pictures TV, this is Jeopardy!, the story of America's favorite quiz show. This week, how it all started. Factor's ready-to-eat meals make eating better every day easy. When my schedule gets busy, it's nice to have pre-prepared, chef-created, and dietitian approved meals delivered right to my door. With over 35 different options a week to choose from and over 55 nutrition-packed add-ons, make your weekly meal planning even more delicious and easy with Factor. Plus, Factor meals are 100% ready to heat and eat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. Get started today and have a feel-good week of meals ready to go. Head to Factormeals.com Jeopardy 50 and use code Jeopardy 50 to get 50% off. That's code Jeopardy 50 at Factormeals.com Jeopardy 50 to get 50% off.
1: Well, television quiz shows, many of them were descendants of
0: radio quiz shows. That's Bob Bowden again, our resident game show expert, who will be the first to tell you that to understand the significance of Jeopardy! today, you have to go back to the beginning.
2: Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to a brand new show called Jeopardy!
0: Actually, even before that, the prelude to Jeopardy! dates back to the 1950s when television was about a decade old and game shows were a network's secret weapon. They were cheap to produce, You didn't need fancy sets or actors, and contestants were everyday people, just like the viewers themselves. Of course, there was the thrill of watching someone win prizes, money, and even fame. And the moment was right for game shows. After World War
1: II, the culture was looking for positive reinforcement of life in America, and... Quiz shows played a very important role in creating heroes and allowing us normal folks to play along and feel smart and be validated by having knowledge. So the quiz shows became mega, mega hits in the mid-50s.
2: The $64,000 question. Now the star of our show, where knowledge is king and the reward king size, Hal March. Geritol, the high potency tonic that helps you feel stronger fast, presents twenty one. Back for the fifth week, Mr. James Snodgrass, and returning with fifty two thousand five hundred dollars, (laughs) Mr. Hank Bloomgarden.
0: At the peak of their popularity, 20 or so game shows were on the air, with about one-third of the country tuning in. That's a lot of people and a lot of shows competing for that number one spot. Bigger ratings meant bigger revenue. And what perhaps started as a healthy dose of competition ultimately snowballed into one of the biggest scandals in broadcast television.
1: At the time, there were no laws against rigging quiz shows, And some producers were encouraged to manipulate the outcome of the competition by giving contestants answers, by coaching them on how to act, and creating artificial
0: results. All in the name of being number one. But that didn't work out so well. Dotto, which was kind of a mashup game of trivia and connect the dots, was the first show to be caught. It was abruptly taken off the air in 1958. That same year, Herb Stempel, a contestant who appeared on NBC's quiz show 21, came forward with the allegation that 21 was also rigged. In 1959, accusations of fraud led to a grand jury investigation into 21 and one of its most popular contestants, Charles Van Doren. As a champion, Van Doren had won $129,000 in prize money, landed a cover story in Time Magazine, and even got a hosting gig on NBC's Today. He had been America's sweetheart, but he was about to be in the hot seat.
2: In the Senate hearing room, the dramatic climax of the probe of fixed and rigged quiz shows. Charles Van Doren's wife and father, poet Mark Van Doren, are in the audience as committee chairman Senator Orrin Harris opens the hearing.
0: At first, Van Doren insisted he was innocent, but eventually he admitted to receiving questions and answers before games and dramatic coaching by the show's producers. The watershed moment was later depicted in Robert Redford's 1994 film, Quiz Show. I was involved, deeply involved in a deception. I have deceived my friends, and I had millions of them. I lied to the American people. I lied about what I knew. And then I lied about what I did not know.
1: America was stunned. America had been led to believe that these shows were honest, not because anyone ever really said they were honest, but why wouldn't they be honest? The public very much felt duped. And keep in mind, television was barely a decade old. This was a huge shock.
0: And a huge reckoning for broadcast television. In 1960, Congress made rigging quiz shows a federal crime, and the genre nearly disappeared. That is, until Julianne Wright, who was then married to legendary game show producer Merv Griffin, got an idea.
3: It just popped into her head. And she said, well, what if we give the answers rather than the questions?
0: More on that after the break.
4: My father loved, he absolutely loved games.
0: That's Tony Griffin, Merv Griffin and Julianne Wright's son.
4: When my mom met him on the Robert Q. Lewis show, they became best friends and then they got married. And it was during that time he was doing Player Hunch as a game show host. And the $64,000 question game show just got outed. They cheated. And my dad was really upset about that because that meant the end of game shows, he thought. And they were on a plane going somewhere and he said, game shows are over. And my mom said, why do you say that? And he goes, because they got caught cheating. They were giving the contestants the answers. And my mom said, well, why don't you do a game show where they give the answers to the contestants? And he said, what are you talking about? And she said, 5,280. And he said, how many feet in a mile? And she said, 221 Baker Street. And he said, where does Sherlock Holmes
3: live? And she said, that's the game. I could imagine his eyes light up.
0: That's the co-executive producer of Jeopardy, Lisa Brofman. She worked with Merv in the 80s and heard this story almost as many times as Tony did
3: and he would have shot one back at Julan, and then she would have shot one back at him. And probably for the rest of the flight, when they landed, when they got home, they probably stayed up all night shooting these back and forth with each other. He was so excited. And the thing about Merv was that year after year, day after day after day, he would walk in the room and say, ooh, I just came up with a new puzzle.
4: He had a unique style of speaking and laughing and he'd be like, ooh.
0: And Julian's idea was definitely ooh-worthy. Within a matter of days, Merv had put together a team to work on the concept. That was just how he operated, full steam ahead.
3: Merv was so confident, and he functioned with his instincts. He was a brilliant businessman and a brilliant producer. He always had this twinkle in his eye, You knew something fun was going to happen, something interesting was going to happen.
0: Merv went on to create Wheel of Fortune and The Merv Griffin Show, which is considered one of the top talk shows in the history of television. But in 1964, he was on a mission to bring quiz shows back from the brink. The team had the first ingredient nailed down, the reverse Q&A format. Next, Griffin came up with a list of categories, answers that pertain to each one, and set dollar amounts for every answer. But there was still another twist.
4: He said, we're going to take money away when they miss an answer. And my mom said, you can't do that. No one's ever taken money away. And he says, no, we're gonna do it because that's more interesting. And even a bunch of television execs said, you cannot take money away from the contestants. He goes, well, then we're not doing the show because that's the way the show is.
0: As Merv and his team continued to workshop ideas, doing run-throughs of the show in his Central Park West apartment, there were a couple of other pieces of the puzzle that needed solving. Here's Merv Griffin in a 2002 interview. The show was called, What's the Question? Which is not very
1: exciting, and it didn't connote danger or uh, excitement or anything. And I was sitting in in an office with two of the daytime executives of the network, And they kept saying, I'm over the last run through. The problem with the show is there's no jeopardies in it. You know, it's not, it it doesn't get you on the edge of your chair when the contestants are playing. And it should have more jeopardies. I never heard a word they were saying to me. All I heard was
0: jeopardy. Jeopardy. What a word. That clinched it. They had a new title and then came the song.
4: My father was a songwriter and, and an incredible piano player. And when he was single, he was in an apartment and he lived right next door to Marlon Brando. And Brando was doing Broadway plays and he was getting famous, but he wasn't quite Marlon Brando yet. But everyone knew he was going to be huge. And my dad and he were buddies. And Marlon was like, Hey, Murph, I, I got this piano. I can't use this piano. Uh, do you want it? And my dad's like, Oh, I love pianos. Let me see. oh yes, bring it It Yes, I'll take it. And one night before my mom and he were gonna go out to dinner, my dad was like, Oh, just a second, let me I, I got something in my head, I gotta put it down. So he went to the piano that Marlon gave him and he wrote the think music. Da 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 So he wrote that and that became huge, huge. So much so, he always claimed it was as big as happy birthday.
0: And by the way, those mere 30 seconds have generated upwards of $80 million in royalties for the Griffin family estate. But back to the story. Things were really coming together for Merv. He had the think music down and a more streamlined game design. They would divide the show into two rounds, Jeopardy and Double Jeopardy, six categories in each round, then end with a final. And on March 30th, 1964, America was formally introduced to Jeopardy.
2: The following program is brought to you in living color on NBC. And now, entering the studio are today's contestants. This is Mrs. Mary Eubanks, a housewife from Candor, North Carolina.
0: Don Pardo, who later became the voice of Saturday Night Live, was hired as the announcer.
2: This is Mr. Homer Morelia, an ex-school teacher from Iran. This is Mrs. Kathy McManus, a registered nurse from Greenwich, Connecticut. These three people will compete for cash prizes today on Jeopardy! And now, here's the star of Jeopardy! Art Clemming! Thank you. (laughs) Thank you.
0: Art was a Navy pilot-turned-actor, and this was his first time hosting a show. If he was nervous, you couldn't tell. He had a ton of charisma, and those broad shoulders didn't hurt either.
2: Thank you very much. Welcome to a brand new show called Jeopardy! This is a very unusual question and answer program. You see, we give our contestants the answers. All they have to do is come up with the questions. Whoever wins the most money today becomes our champion and returns to play the game again
5: tomorrow. When I was on the game in early 64, it was beginning.
0: That's Mary Eubanks. She was one of Jeopardy's first ever contestants. Today, she's 84 years old, but she made her debut on the show when she was 26. It all started after she and her husband moved from North Carolina to New York, and Mary and her friend were waiting to get into a taping of The Price is Right.
5: We were in line, and across the way, there was a guy who was... Moving around in the various groups and had his coat wrapped up real tight. So, anyway, he eventually did come sidling across the way and came up to the two of us and said, How would you all like to go to try out for a show? So that's what we did. It didn't never occur to me that it would really happen.
0: But a couple of days later,
5: I was ironing my husband's shirt, and the phone rang. And I picked it up with one hand and kept the iron going with the other. And it was um, a lady from the show, and she said, "How would you like to be a contestant on the first Jeopardy show?" And I said, "What shall I wear?" <laughs> Was my first question was, what shall I wear? She said, don't wear anything white. That has just remained in my memory so clearly.
0: On game day, Mary arrived in a pink blouse.
5: Light pink. And um, it was short sleeves. And I was just amazed because the audience was dressed up with long dresses on and sparkling things. It was just, they were all just dressed to the nines.
0: And at the helm was the ever-fashionable and charming host, Art Fleming.
5: Naturally, he was handsome, and he was friendly, and he really knew what he was doing about getting the audience involved. Now, I'd like to
2: talk a little bit with our contestants for the day. The very first contestants, and here's a young lady, Mary Eubanks, from uh, a housewife from North Carolina. How did you meet your husband, Mary?
5: A blind date in college.
2: A blind date in college? I bet you the college was University of Vermont.
5: No, it was the University of North Carolina.
2: You fooled me,
5: Mary. (laughs) He wanted me to speak because... My southern accent was going to put the audience on, and it did. What's James Bond's number?
2: What's his number? His telephone number? No, you're right anyway. I'm just kidding with you. Joshin' with you, Mary.
5: They laughed, they clapped, they shrieked. It carried on over everything I said, (laughs) whether it was right or wrong.
0: It was a close game, and Mary was actually in second place going into Final Jeopardy.
5: Art Fleming read aloud the clue. Good night, sweet prince. And the music's going, and then...
2: Time is up. Please put down your pencils. Now, let's see, Homer, what your question is. Oh, what did Juliet say to Romeo? <laughs> Ooh. Now, Mary, you said what quote was made to Hamlet in Shakespeare's Hamlet? Correct. Now, let's see what you have wagered, being in second position with 230. Your wager is 115. Do You now have
0: and $45. That's dollars.
2: And Mary, you are our champion, our very first champion. Congratulations to you. Mary, yes, sir.
5: Hamlet, that's what I want on. It was exciting. I mean, I'm still kind of
0: breathless. The game had gone off without a hitch, but NBC wasn't quite ready to toast Jeopardy's success there was still a nervousness in the air about quiz shows. Even with Jeopardy's unique format, which was designed to be a fail-safe, a promise to audiences that this show was inherently different, executives wondered, would it work? And as NBC rolled the dice, they were scrutinizing everything. Here's Lisa Broffman again.
3: The network was getting letters from viewers. So they called Merv and They said that the viewers think that the show is too hard. They can't get very many of the questions correct. You're going to have to make it easier because the only people that are going to watch this show is this elite group of intellectuals in New York City that dress in black and hang out at the local bar and ponder existentialism. This can't be. And so Murph said, I listened to what they were saying. And I said, okay. And you know what I did? I made it harder.
0: More after the break.
6: I saw Jeopardy once when I was at college. Everybody wound up minus. There was no final Jeopardy. And I thought, what is this show? This is a terrible show. This show won't
0: last. That's Jeff Goldstein. Ironically, Jeff would go on to have quite the career at Jeopardy. But in the beginning, he was nervous.
6: I grew up around show business, and I sort of wanted to be a part of it, but I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I went to a couple of interviews and... One of the people that I met with was this fellow called Ron Greenberg. He'd been in game shows forever. And he said, Bob Rubin over at Jeopardy is looking for somebody. He said, why don't you go see Bob Rubin? And I said, wow, Jeopardy, that's sort of scary. (laughs) Jeopardy's for smart people. And Ronnie Greenberg said to me, let me tell you something, kid. Jeopardy will be on after we're all dead. You should go to Jeopardy.
0: And as it turns out, that was some sage advice. Within weeks of its debut, ratings skyrocketed. Harder questions and all, Jeopardy! had nabbed about 40% of viewers in its time slot. The show was undeniably a hit. Merv got his punchline and Jeff got a job as a production assistant.
6: In the beginning of Jeopardy!, there were no computers, there was no electronics. And every one of the answers was hand-painted by the NBC Scenic Shop on 18th Street and 6th Avenue in New York. So my job was to go through these individual answer cards and identify mistakes.
0: Don't worry, it wasn't all bad. It was thrilling to
6: show up at what was then the RCA building, 30 Rock. You know, and go to that funky little studio. And at the end of the day, I could go across the hall and watch the Tonight Show rehearsal. And especially if there was a musical act, it was like, oh my God, I'm sitting there, you know, nose to nose with whoever was playing.
0: Free concerts at 30 Rock, now we're talking. And much like the Jeopardy of today, a lot of the action took place on those tape days.
6: Rehearsal started at 10 a.m. If it was five seconds after 10 and rehearsal hadn't started, something was really wrong because everything was really like clockwork. So the rehearsal was, you know, just for the players to make sure they got comfortable. I mean, they come in and there's lights and Art Fleming and cameras and it's a totally different environment for them.
0: So they would play practice games with mock clues and responses, and then they'd reset. During the actual games, Jeff was the official scorekeeper.
6: So if a Player got a daily double, or if a player wanted to figure out how much to bet in final, they had a score that they could look across the room and see. The current show has electronic score readouts, but in my day, it was me. And I was adding and subtracting. And I have math teachers from when I was a kid that would be rolling in their graves with laughter that I got a job doing math. The guy on camera four whose lens was closest to me for some reason didn't like me and every once in a while he would swing his lens over and hit me in the head with it
0: <laughs> we all know someone like that guy on camera for us, right still jeff loved being on set the staff were a really tight-knit bunch <laughs>
6: It was Bob Rubin and George Vosberg and the head writer, Lynette Williams, the guy who loaded the game board, Tommy Casabona, who was strong as an ox and just ran the stage. And I think it was really major for me as a young guy starting out to be surrounded by people whose job it was to make this program and that's all they cared about. I mean, it was a small mission, but everybody was totally... Invested in what they were doing. The thing about television was we didn't know the audience. We knew the hundred or so people who got a ticket downstairs and came upstairs and watched us record. But we didn't know who was really out there until one day Art Fleming, the host, he said, you're having an Art Fleming Day in Erie, Pennsylvania. And I said, well, that sounds great. He said, do you want to come? So I drove up to Westchester Airport. And um, sure enough, there was a private plane. And Fleming and I flew up to Erie, Pennsylvania. And the police escorted us into town with motorcycles. And there were people along the route <laughs> waving, clapping. And we went into this typical... VFW hall and I was walking with Fleming and this lovely woman came up and she grabbed his arm with both of her hands and she stopped him and she stared at him and she said, you come into my home every day. And he said, well, thank you. Fleming was remarkably gracious, but it was my first experience with the audience. There was a connection there that
0: I had never seen before. The original Jeopardy! ran for 11 years, from 1964 to 1975. And Jeff actually became the director for many of them. But despite the show's popularity, by the mid-70s, networks were eager to usher in a new era of television. The last episode of Jeopardy! aired on January 3rd, 1975. Here's Bob Bowden again.
1: I remember it like it was yesterday. I was riveted to the TV. I put a little microphone of my cassette recorder up to the speaker so that I could record the show and keep it forever, and I still have that recording. After Art Fleming thanked everyone and said goodbye for the last time, they cut to a single light bulb on a stand in the middle of the stage, which was all dark, and that was reminiscent of how Broadway theaters were set up when the shows were not being produced. The soundtrack was the song, Smile, Smile though your heart is aching. Smile even though it's breaking. It was a very sad day for me.
0: It was a sad day for a lot of folks. The viewers, the production team, Merv.
1: That was a tough time for
4: my dad because my dad really loved that show.
0: But as you know, that wasn't really the end.
4: The King brothers, these two young guys, they had a meeting with my dad and they said, we want to syndicate Jeopardy.
0: Next week, the relaunch seen around the world and a new host, Mustache and All, at the center of it.
2: Now entering the studio
1: are today's contestants. An advertising copywriter originally from Miami, Florida,
2: Frank Sullivan. A freelance copywriter originally from Plainview, New York, Lois Feinstein; And an energy demonstrator from
1: Waverly, Ohio, Greg Hopkins. And now, here is the host of Jeopardy, Alex Trebek. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. On behalf of all of us, welcome to America's favorite answer and question game, Jeopardy. You know how we play it. We'll find a cat.
0: This is Jeopardy! The Story of America's Favorite Quiz Show is a production of Something Else, Sony Music Entertainment, and Sony Pictures TV. It's hosted by me, Buzzy Cohen. This episode was produced by Sylvie Lubau. The series producers are Julia Doyle, Sylvie Lubau, and Mia Warren. Associate producer is Serena Chow. Our series editor is Sarah Kramer. Executive producers are Lizzie Jacobs, Tom Koenig, Sarah Kramer, Michael Davies, and Suzanne Preddy. Production management help from Sasanya Davenport, Tamika Balance-Kolasny, and Ike Egbatola. Our theme music was composed by Hannes Brown. Our engineer is Cedric Wilson. Special thanks to Charlie Yetter and Steve Ackerman. And a big, big thank you to the Jeopardy! staff and crew for all their time and help on this. Shout out to Alexa Machia. If you love the show, follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.